All right. Hello and welcome, everyone. This is the eighth episode of Witches on the Couch. I'm one of your hosts, and I am Nikki, and I am a witch. I'm your other host, Jade, and I'm also a witch. So uh, we will con be continuing with Fort Salem today because we kind of took a break with Practical Magic, but we are actually really close to finishing the show. So I think we're probably going to finish Fort Salem before we do our next movie. Which will be nice also, because we're like one episode off from the show now. So this is like our eighth episode of the podcast, but we're on episode seven of Fort Salem. And it's really bugging me how that's working out. I'm like, we have to be like spot on or way, way off. Like it is too close for comfort. I mean, I thought I was the more OCD one, but apparently not. I think it just like confuses me for organization when I try to like do stuff for the show where I'm like, wait, what episode are we on? And then I like go back and forth 10,000 times thinking I'm wrong on one side, but mm, I'm gotcha. not. We're not at all. So obviously, as you could guess, we are going on with Fort Salem episode seven, Mycelium, Mycelium. I always say mycelium, but I okay. guess I don't officially know. That's okay. Does it matter how you pronounce it? I kind of threw that to you because you're kind of the scientist here. So I was like, she'll know. She has a degree. Uh. Not in fungi, but <laughs> I think I've only ever heard it called mycelium. Mycelium? Shit, now it got me all confused. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, we'll say mycelium. We'll say mycelium because I like that more and that's how you pronounce it. So we'll just, we'll go with it. Tomato, tomato, apparently. That's, that's what I was thinking. I was like, is this like aunt and aunt? Like, you know, does it, does it matter? Do you get what I'm trying to say? Um, I assume you get what I'm trying to say. You've been here for eight episodes. Hopefully you understand what I'm trying to say by this point. Oh, by the way, also fun fact. Uh, we had a listener, I think in Australia. I saw Ooh. on our like logistics notes. Yeah, we have like an international listener, or at least we did for like, one episode. I don't know if they're still listening, but if they are, hey, thanks. That's Shout really out. Cool. Yeah, that's that's super cool. Plus, you know, I'm from California. We love Australia. They send us firefighters when we're burning to the ground. And like you know every and year they send us. Yeah. 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 And actually like vice versa. There's this whole thing where like California also sends a lot of firefighters to Australia. So we got each other's backs. Cool guys. Love ya. We'll actually get into the episode now. I know you're always on me for tangenting, but I like to be conversational. I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, would you want to start out this episode this time? Because this was very you territory. I, I feel like feel like this was good for you well thanks i mean that considering possible. considering that um it starts out with Scylla being interrogated by general alder which cracks me up because honestly like Scylla was oddly creepily enduring endearing both honestly during the interrogations um she is She's taunting Alder, you know, this 300-plus-year-old witch who's super ultra-powerful and nobody fucks with, but she's going to taunt her while she's chained up to a chair. Good for her. But then, of course, 
This was a creepy tactic that uh, I'm glad doesn't quite exist in real life, at least not to the level that I'm aware of. Um, Alder gives Scylla a plate of food. Super nice. Hey, you better eat. You know, we can we can get into our talks, but I know you're hungry. Just eat. And then jokes on you. Once you start eating, it was actually an illusionary food. It's a plate of glass. What the fuck? That was it like me. not even glass though? Because then when she like swipes the plate off, the plate's just empty. So it was like an illusion within an illusion. I thought. Oh yes. Yes, it was, because I remember the first time I watched it, but I missed that the second time. Yeah, she, like, because she freaks out, obviously, at the plate of glass she was munching on. So she, like, throws the plate off her lap, and then, like, we zoom in on the shattered plate, and there's nothing on it. So it was literally a joke within a joke. And I was like, oh, wow, that was complicated for... Right? Oh, my goodness. But then also, I was proud that, like, afterwards, she goes right back to taunting Alder. And then uh, Quartermain starts to, like, you know, hands on the shoulders. Go through her memories. Doesn't really get a whole lot because Scylla is semi-locked vault. And then flash out. Great. So Great I actually had... Way they- I had so oh, much stuff to say on this scene. I know I gave it okay. to you, but I have, like, two more things to say on it. So one, I think Quartermain's, like, special gift is, like, psychic magic. Because this is, like, she seems designated to, like, probe minds and do, like, mind wipes and manipulations and stuff. Which is why I think she's really good at it. I think we've, like, found out what Quartermain's, like, niche is. In the same way that, like, Rael is a healer. You know, it's, like, this is, this is her thing. That was my Quartermain fun fact. This was the important thing that I was like, I feel like we should bring up. During all the taunting, there's a part where Scylla says that, like, you know, she doesn't like General Alder. General Alder betrayed them from the beginning because she aligned herself and made them servants to them. And we should have never fought their wars. It has always been us against them. Which was so insightful for me because I feel like this whole time we've been like what the hell are the spree up to like what is their plan why are they attacking all these civilians when it seems like they hate the military turns out I bring up x-men so much in this show they are basically like the magneto faction of the world and are like no we're better than the humans and that's why we're going to destroy them and we also just like hate you on the side so I was like, that was a big revelation for me. I was like, oh my God, we kind of have a spree agenda now. Like we kind of, they, they got a supremacy complex going on. Okay. That was my big exciting times. Very good. Very good. Uh, so the quarter main bit, I was actually going to bring up later because then we find out exactly what she does to Scylla when she touches her, but that's cool. No worries. Sorry. I, and, I, just, again, I figured I, I knew what she was doing, so I want to talk about it. <laughs> it's spoilers, though. <laughs> I catch myself. No, I can't catch myself. I can only catch you, apparently. Hypocritical to the max. Anywho. Um, well, actually, so when she's taunting Alder like that, I... Yeah, because I didn't write down the exact words, but I remember when I was watching it, I felt like it was more... And thinking back on what she said and what we've learned about the spree in past episodes, I still feel like 
the Accords and General Alder's subjugation was really high on their list, but like they do still have that superiority complex over the humans. So really taking Alder's way of life down is priority, but the humans still need to go in the meantime. So they're just going to be the stepping stones. So, but yes, good, good insight. Good insight. Totally. I just like, that was like the big exciting thing I got from the interrogation. Like the creepy glass thing aside, I was like, wait a minute, there's information over what the hell is happening here. (laughs) I needed to talk about it and I needed to know. But yeah, that's how we start the episode, which is a harsh start. We do have only a few like real harsh starts in the show, I feel like, where it's like very bleak to begin with. Usually our starts are like generally jovial because then we're going to cut to the opening credits. But this time we're not fucking around. But we cut back into the show where we see our main three. And this is another thing. Fair warning. This is another episode where they jump around like 20,000 times. So each scene is like two minutes and then we're with the next people. So we cut back to the interrogation of Scylla a ton, but it's just the same thing happening. Like she's tortured. She won't say anything. She's sassy. We we move on after 30 seconds. We're not going to cover all that because it's like, that's exhausting. Uh, but I will say this was slightly better because at least, again, we were contained. Everything's on the base this time. We're not jumping around the world like the horror episode. This is This is relatively doable. But that being said, we have our first cut to the main three where Rail is once again the focus of the gossip of the school. Everyone's all chatty and whispery and giggly about her because that's the girl who stole all the drugs. And for some reason, they find that hilarious or at least something that they should be like gossiping and joking about, which I feel like, I feel like it's not the, I feel like that's not how you react to those situations, even at 18. Like, I I don't think that would have been even like high school us reactions to someone who stole a lot of drugs and is really sick. Like, Agreed. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know what to do about it. Um, like, I could do anything about it, but I didn't know, like, what else to say about it besides the fact that was weird. One thing I do really like about how they handle these scenes, though, is Abigail and Tally are, like, bodyguarding Rael. And it's both, like, emotional friend bodyguarding and a little bit like they know Rael. Trigger warning, suicide. A little bit like they realize Rael is still possibly suicidal, or at least like survived some form of a suicide attempt. And it's only because I've been watching a lot of uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriends where they handle suicide and the main actress, if you haven't seen the show, sorry, um, she has a suicide, the character has a suicide attempt. So the way they handle it there and the way that uh, Tally and Abigail are acting here is very similar where it's like whenever Rail wants to go by herself to do something, they like immediately are like, oh, we'll come with you. It's okay. Like check in with us in five minutes. Like, did you need anything? Are you okay? It's like that, it's that fear that if you let them out of their sight, they might try it again, or you don't know if they're okay enough. And I think they handled it well where um, once again, Abigail was that kind of team leader, like, fuck them. If they fuck with you, I'll fuck with them back, but you stay by me because I don't know what you're going to do. 
And Tally, as we've said, is always like emotional MVP support. So she's just really trying. So I just really liked how we handled that. And I wanted to like give them some applause because they handle some issues super well in this show. And I think this was one of them. But besides that, Rael is for the most part okay after the um, drug incident. And she's still obviously kind of in grief and mourning over the fact that Scylla in her head is dead, even though the audience all knows she's not. But now we're kind of to the point where she's a little more like accepting and like letting her friends help her and lean on them, which was nice to see. And besides that, we get the first official meeting of Abigail and Adil, who's that guy with the sister from the last episode. And I don't think last episode we talked about it, but there's like a moment where Abigail passes the infirmary and sees him inside, but then is like chewed away because she's not supposed to be there. This is like their official meeting now over cereal. And it's low-key adorable. I, I was upset how adorable this was. <laughs> I mean, I agree it was adorable, but I don't, I don't know why you'd be upset about it. I don't know either. Please go on. I don't know either. It was so adorable. I think just because I've been like, the show has trained me that most of our like couples and meet cutes and everything are just so unhealthy. Because it was the same with like Raelle and Scylla when they first met. I was like, this is the cutest thing ever. I like ship it so hard. And then like Scylla betrayed me. And like, Kind of same with Tally and Buttonwood, where I was like, okay, this is, like, super dramatic, but they seem cute together, and then that betrayed me, and now I'm like, why are you doing this again? I don't want to be lured into your adorableness. I know what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I've been scorned by this show in love. But they meet, uh, Dill kind of tells Abigail how he's visiting, he's from this other area, that Abigail recognizes immediately as being a heavily war zone. And then he motions to this uh, like commanding woman in the corner, who's apparently his guide slash bodyguard. And Abigail being Abigail is immediately like, oh, well, if you want to ditch her at any point, like, you know, I could just show you around myself. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And <laughs> He seems down, and then he, like, walks away. This is the other part I really liked. Like, Tally walks over and is like, who's that? He's cute. What's going on? And she's like, stop planning my wedding. Give it a moment. <laughs> I was just like... I like that, too. We read Tally so well by this point. <laughs> we know what she... We know what, how that's going. And, I like, um, our friend who we've mentioned a few times who now actually follows us on Instagram. So she might be on this podcast at some point. But my point was, I feel like she's sometimes the tally in my life to this situation where I'll be like, oh yeah, like I went to see a concert with Mark and she's like, Mark, who's Mark? Does he like the color green? Would he be okay with a fall wedding? Like, you know, like I feel like we sometimes get into that zone. So I was like, I just really connected with Abigail on this. I was like, yeah. I think that's it for the Cella Rail stuff. And then we actually do something we haven't done in forever in this show, which is witchcraft training. What? I know. There's actually so much magic in this episode. I was shocked. Right? I was so excited. And that's why, because like I was telling Nikki before we were recording, I usually take, because I like I'm weird about notes. 
for the episodes. So I take like a, you know, eight and a half by 11, one front side and the full back side for notes. I did a front side, a back side, and a full another front side of another page for this episode. So. A lot of good details. stuff goes on. This is like a relatively good episode. It is. Well, and so uh, before we actually get to the training training, one thing, um, so Adil's sister, her name is Kalita. And one thing that I found, me as a nerd, I'll admit it, but it has magic. Um, so they're spider webbing. They still don't really know what it is, but I guess, and I didn't write down her name, Colonel Wick, I think it is. Um, the she's the best. Answer? No. Yeah. Oh, she's the, the one. Yeah, the healer that the necromancer is filling in for. Yeah. Colonel Wick is, I guess, quote unquote, the best healer in the nation. But she goes to heal Kalita. She does this, um, I don't know. They don't mention it, but she says uh, the vibrations cause a uh, pleurodesis. And I immediately latched on to pleurodesis because I have had pleurisy before, which is really painful. Don't ever get it if you can help it. But um, so pleurisy, well, the pleura is the lining of your lungs, like the outer lining between the chest cavity and stuff. And so um, pleurisy, there's a couple types, but typically it comes up after you've had pneumonia. And that was one of my things in high school. I had walking pneumonia that I just never really saw a doctor for until it was gone. But then I had pleurisy as like a side effect of it. What the hell did you have pneumonia? <laughs> uh, for like two months. Oh, that's when your dad gave me the alcohol for drama. Because well, I was coughing for like two months straight. That was Junior, a I think it was. Why didn't you tell me? Because I didn't actually go to the doctor ever to get it officially tested. It's only after it was gone and I had like the pleurisy complications that I finally went to a doctor and like, oh yeah, you must have just got over pneumonia. Here's a little bit left. Wow. It's irritation in the lining of your lungs. Also, let's so not, basically, let's not get my dad in trouble on this podcast. He's a good guy. It was medicinal. It really fucking helped. It was literally like a hot toddy, like a shot, teeny tiny little thing. Because I couldn't stop coughing and I was doing the lighting. I hope all this gets cut out. Um, I was doing the lighting for a drama performance at our high school. So like I had to shut the F up during the show and not cough the whole time. So it was just like, just a quick little hot one. Get some of that gunk out. And it totally worked. I think that was when we were doing Pippin, because that's why I used to sit in the lighting booth with you, too, and I remember we did that for Pippin. Something like that. I don't even remember, honestly, all the order of the show. Anywho, okay, pleurodesis. So specifically, though, pleurodesis is um, like a real-life procedure where they go in and they fill the lining of your lungs up, because there's like, you know, two layers mainly. Um, they fill it up so fluid can't go in there. Um, yeah. So they, they legitimately like do the vibrations to cause a pleurodesis on Kalita to protect her lungs. And then it ends up making like the, I don't know, gunk, whatever it is. Black tendrils. Yeah. 
uh, it makes it like angry, and so it starts like moving, and it they think it wraps around her vocal cords because then she starts like growling, screechy thing, and shatters all the glass around. So I thought that was crazy. Real magic, real science. I was so excited. I love we started this episode with me asking a scientific word and you're like, why should I know? And I was like, you're the science one. And they're like, not really. And now look at, look where we're at now. Because it was like fungus, not human <laughs> body. I have my sections, okay? I'm just saying in the course of like 10 to 20 minutes, you have like disproven your original opening statement. Like immediately. I do that a lot. I feel. <laughs> Anywho. Anyhow, no, you're de- you're definitely right. That was um a cool part that I did not look up because I did not know what that was and had never had ammonia, so never made that connection. Never knew you had ammonia. We'll be angry about that later. By the way, I did not know ammonia was so common because like my brother's had it like four times, and now you've had it, and Jen's had it. And I'm like, why is everyone getting ammonia? Well, I mean, because pneumonia is actually highly contagious. And then uh, most of them are because it's usually a bacteria. can be a virus. But anywho. Uh... Anywho. All right. Let's. Yeah, I'll uh, let's... when we're not recording. <laughs> yeah, good stuff now. Let's get into that uh, healing training session. And then we cut to the actual training, quote-unquote healing training. Uh, So Colonel Wick, I think is what I decided her name was, hopefully I'm actually correct, um, is taking her breather because she's healing Kalita. The necro teacher, Isadora, comes in to fill in for her. And then she asks for a volunteer. um, And then immediately slits her throat. Just no hesitation. Gets up to class, faces them, and then wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And then very calmly steps away. And while this poor girl is clutching her throat and bleeding out, Isadora makes her speech, her intro to the actual class, what they're doing. Um, to summarize, basically, you're going to be all powerful witches. You're going to be really trained. But if you don't have a fiction in your group, you're going to die anyway. Um, so they were going to all start learning linking, which is, you know, your heart makes a beat that echoes your life force, etc. And so if you can really focus it on that, you can, you know, um, work on your target's blood flow. You can do change your organ function even twerk their cellular composition. Um, And then, of course, after she said, like, this whole three-minute thing, then as the demonstration, she goes over to the girl and, like, fixes her throat using this technique. Thankfully, Lester, hey, you can take a breather before you jump in, because obviously you must be traumatized from this experience. I I was so, like, weirdly shocked by that more than anything or that she like turns to this poor girl who's literally been dying for like a minute and it's like 
why don't you take a small break before you join us again? Like, catch your breath and thoughts. And I was like, I, I would need like months to catch my breath and thoughts after that. You crazy, crazy yeah. woman. <laughs> yes. But then again, she is the necro teacher and, you know, they're spooky and they're spooky. It's a little weird anyway. Something I uh, like about this scene, yeah. though, is unlike Harry Potter uh, in the first movie, where Dumbledore's, like, opening speech is like, don't go here unless you want to suffer a painful death. And everyone's just like, yeah, that that makes sense. And just kind of nods along like it's a fire announcement. Um Everyone in the crowd, when she's doing, like, her intro after slitting this poor girl's throat, is still, like, staring at the girl. It's like, should we... Sh- this this isn't normal. And, like, I was very proud of that. That even though, like, the necro is really at ease, like, everyone else is very much aware that a girl is dying in front of them. And they're not okay with it. And that was good to see. Yes, yes. Oh, and then also... Isadora says, advanced linking allows you to glimpse others, another's mind and their memories even, which is really cool. So I'll, this is semi when I was going to bring up, but bring it up also later. Linking is what Cordemain is obviously really good at because that's totally what she was doing at the very beginning of the show, interrogating Scylla. We just didn't know it until now. <laughs> <laughs> so anywho. Start calling off your pairs. Abba immediately. Abba. Abigail. Wow. <laughs> She's immediately not a gets, hit band. <laughs> no, unfortunately. So what an amazing band. <laughs> Abigail gets paired with Libba. And then when Tally sees that the only one left her in her unit is Rael, and she immediately volunteers to pair with Glory. So Rael can't have the slightest chance at accessing her memories. Because obviously we all know that Rael's a really good fixer in her own way. So of course she's going to get some memories, but Tally knows the secret. And Rael doesn't know the secret, so we can't let her know the secret. And that got me. This, this is a weird time of Tally, like, strangely knowing all, which is so weird for Tally, because I feel like she's always just, like, the emotional support character and not, like, the investigative, like, she knows as much as the audience character, but she does, and it's so weird seeing her, like, cope with that, because I think she's coping with it the exact same way a lot of us would, which is avoidance, and just trying to not have anxiety attacks whenever possible. And I was like, Tally, I feel you right now. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yes. Valid. So then, of course, because the bell one of the units all split up, Rael gets paired with, I don't even remember the name, didn't write it down, don't care. It's Uh, like something tree. I just remember there's like like tree tree link or something like that. I don't know. Uh, doesn't matter. She's a bitch. I I suspect she's the third member of, um, like, Glory's unit. Because we now have, like, the other two paired off with, uh, Abigail's unit. So I think she's the third unknown that we haven't named up to this point. Because isn't Glory in Is Glory in... No, I don't think Glory and Libba are the same unit. I thought they were in the same unit for some reason. I don't really know. I haven't been paying attention a little bit, but I don't think so just because uh, when they had the pageant way back when, 
Lori went, and I don't actually remember Libba going. Oh, and Libba didn't. No, you're completely right. I, in my head, I think just because I, like, grouped together the named characters, I was like, well, the, that makes three. Like, this has to be the unit, but you are definitely right. I am in the wrong. Yeah, Can some mortalize this. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so, so obviously has been gossiping hardcore about Rael and her salva use after she went nutso. Um, you know, start making more comments like that as they're getting paired up. So then they just go to start rails. Fine. Starts to do her her chanting like she normally does for fixing things. Her partner does not like that. Um, says her Christo pagan nonsense is not how this is done. Rael, you know, it's like, well, that's how I do it. Oh, gosh. And then this, this next line, it got me. Um, well, the girl asks, well, how well did that work for Porter or something like that? Which, of course, is like, oh, my gosh, you don't bring up that. I don't care. How shitty of a person do you have to be to bring up shit like that? Dude, right? Also, like, the viewers couldn't see it, but we had, like, the exact same hand motions where, like, our arms were up and we were just, like, aghast at this scene. Like, we saw it and we're just repeating it. And we're still just completely confused by this scene. Because, like, what? fucking bitch who says that about a kid who is dead due to suicide like what i i i too like i remember i stopped the show and was like can we kill her is that an option here like i was i was so upset i need to like weirdly walk away from the show for a minute well, I do like how Rael handles it. I mean, well, overall, uh, because she, you know, her emotions flare and she goes on with her chant and gets really intense really fast. And then all of a sudden, the entire unit, like everybody on the floor, is just knocked out. They all start dropping like flies. They are passed out on the training mats. Um, Isadora, the necro teacher, comes up, says, you know, since I'm still awake, guessing you didn't learn sleep induction in the military so good to know that's a real thing wish I knew a little bit more about it um well I guess anyway uh says Rael is a slave to her emotions oh sorry I was about to say we should do sleep magic as a deep dive on one of these episodes at some point because that's actually something you and I have a lot of experience in uh says Rael is a slave to her emotions that's disastrous in combat. Tells her to lean on us. Our cannon will not fail you. To which Rael admits that, oh my gosh, that's what Scylla said too. So it must be true. Just all working out for the military. <laughs> <laughs> but then thankfully, you know, everybody starts waking up. A lot of people are feeling like visibly nauseous. So I guess um, one of the side effects of sleep induction is if you wake up too fast, you get nauseous. And you could just flat out throw up. That was interesting. Um, and then honestly, like Abigail, at the very beginning, 
when she quiets down the gossip very beginning of the episode i was super proud of her she comes in right now after waking up and the same tree link whatever the bitch partner is starts trying to rail it rail again i was like uh you just got knocked flat on your ass shut up <laughs> she's obviously better than you and then I, I really was so proud of Abigail, how she was so proud of Raelle for basically just knocking out, honestly, several Highlandic progeny. Something else I liked during the knockout scene was uh, the Necro teacher when she's like talking to Raelle and talking her through it. When people start waking up, she's like, I'm going to have to pretend I reprimanded you now. Act the part. <laughs> I was just like... I hate you at the beginning of this for slitting that girl's throat, but now I'm low-key digging you. It's a very strange and, like, fascinating scene swap we found ourselves in. Yes, I like that, too. Honestly, I just put it down to necro-personality. <laughs> I can see, like, that just being a very common thing. Necros are just, they're like that. I, I could see that. Yeah, that was that was all cool. I do like a lot in this episode. I think this is really the episode where I really became like super team Abigail because I've always said I've team Tally, but God, this episode, Abigail is just like a fucking gem. I just, I want her around all the time. But yes, we finished the so-called uh, healing session because I have a feeling a lot of people then got sick and they had to end the class early. And what's her name? Who just had her throat slit was probably still on the sidelines and now she deserves some serious time off that poor poor girl uh so we cut out of this scene as we said before this is one of their more cutty jumpy episodes but we cut away to a pretty great scene because the witch boys are returning I was so happy I don't know why I was so happy but I was like they're back and <laughs> The uh, boy witch bus shows up, uh, the witch father gets off, followed by our whole uh, male crew that we are accustomed to, the ones who we've at least spent time with. So we got like Buttonwood, we got Abigail's two guys, and we got Rail's bestie. And who, by the way, I know we called him Byron, Byron, but I now don't think that was his name. I think we really screwed that up, but that's, that's a side joke. But they all arrive back at Fort Salem, uh, apparently at General Alder's request. And this is where we get a little more insight into what the hell these guys are up to. Because the Witch Father says that they either have to be, like, on Fort Salem grounds doing witchy guards shit. Not that, obviously, quote, because I'm paraphrasing. Or in the workshop making weapons for the witches. So this does kind of solidify our early theory that they're kind of like artificer, crafts, magic people, which, awesome, because now I know what the hell these kids are up to, which has been killing me this whole show. Such a bummer that they are, I mean, they're good, they're necessary workforce, but. They're kind of a workforce, yeah. I I don't know, like, yeah. I, I kind of wish we saw more, because it could even be, like, a kind of artisan thing, 
because they make all the scourges, uh, scourges, scourges, um, which seems very artful because that's like that's you know a lot of braiding and I think spell enchantment and everything. So I think this could be interesting and something I'd be curious to know more about. But obviously, this isn't their show, so we're not going to talk about it. But we now know that the boys are around and back, and it's an exciting time. I'm so excited they're here. I don't know why I miss them so much, but I apparently, I apparently really miss them. <laughs> and uh, General Alder and the Witch Father at this point get a really shockingly good scene together. Which really made me, I think, love the Witch Father more than I was expecting. Because I now love him so much. Okay. Wow. I, I mean, I appreciate the scene too, but... I don't know why. I don't know why. Like, literally, I watched the scene and I was like, man, this Witch Father, like, he's, he's trying so hard. I, I just, it was so, so weird. I don't know how it had that effect on me, but it did. As I, I kind of said throughout this episode, like, characters really had impacts on me this episode, where I feel like we really, like, hit levels with them, where I was like, oh, man. Okay, so you are great. Or like, oh, man, so you do suck. Like, there, there was, like, one to two choices here, and some of them really hit him. But... They get a really cool scene where, basically, as it turns out, outside of Fort Salem, um, things are not going too well for the witches. There is a lot of anger and fear and frustration around spree attacks and witches in general. And the witch father even brings up that when they were traveling at a gas station or a rest stop, one of one or two of his boys got assaulted by the cops for being there so uh police brutality it's in all worlds i guess so that was the kind of cool commentary that i actually like i specifically noted where i was like oh my god port sam shit um but also was just really great insight into this world that how similar it is to our own world where it's like when fear and anger dominate you um police brutality comes out but he was basically stating how they had to try to fix things because things are getting really bad off of Fort Salem base. And then General Alder I, I really shows her true colors here. This was a real General Alder shit moment where she says that she's working on it. She'll figure it out. She can now probably have access to the notes that were like the fancy notes we were talking about ages ago that no one knew about. And the witch father says, more or less, well, shouldn't you convene the International Council and talk to them and figure something out? Because we're obviously in a bad place. And to which she replies, I could go see them, but I will do what I want and they will follow. It just makes them feel better thinking they have a voice in what's going to happen. And I was like, oh, so we just admit we're a dictator who likes to pretend there's a democracy for the benefit of the fantasy of a democracy. This is why I love this scene. I was just like, oh, we just, we literally just called out Alder as a dictator. Great. Yes. I'm so yeah. happy it happened. 
And like she walks away. And as we've seen kind of multiple times with the witch father at this point, which is why I think like this episode solidified that I loved him. He always kind of gets dismissed by her after she says whatever she wants to say or like gets whatever she wants. But we always have like a couple seconds on him where he looks really like dismayed or emotional or is like definitely thinking something like, We always get good shots of him looking, like, pensive or upset. And this was one of them where she then just, like, walks away. And he's like, ah, this is not good. And then, like, we cut away. But I think just because he is, like, this kind of silent player that we always assumed had power like her. Because he's the witch father. Seeing the scenes where it's like, no, he has no power. And basically is just trying to keep his own, like, kids together. I really like it. I really respect what they're doing with the character. And I think the actor nails it. So I think that's why I kind of fell in love with him. I see. That that all makes sense. Thank you. Anywho. I mean, he doesn't, I don't know if he comes up. He doesn't come up anymore in this episode, but. I don't think he'll ever come up again. (laughs) Just one final good, strong ending. One final Right, we love the witch father. Like, I, I don't know what it is about him. I just, I loved him. I think I, I think every time we've had good, well, every time we've had scenes with him, A, they've been good. And B, I think he always just handles, like, conflict and other people very well. Like, I've rarely seen a scene where he, like, flashes out or is obviously just being selfish or, like, bitchy for no reason. Like, whenever people come to him with problems or say stuff, he's obviously someone who's been, like, trained to, air quotes, know his place, but, which makes him, like, very diplomatic, but also because we get these extended cuts of him, of, like, reactions and thoughts, it makes him seem like a very empathetic, sympathetic character, which is why he's the best. Once again, great analysis. I I really dug into the witch father this episode. (laughs) Well, and then, uh, speaking of guys, I guess, we move right along. I'm not going to be so so great as that. Um, yeah, cut the guys are in, I don't know, lounging area. Tally's talking to Glory. Garrett comes up. Hey, you know, you want to go to dinner? We can still be friends. It's cool. What the fuck, boy? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, after, especially after he used the codices, and we found out exactly what that meant. Um, <laughs> thankfully, Glory's a good friend. Comes up, oh, we got inspection in like two minutes, so. Oh, right, you know, wink, wink. I better go, and uh, no thanks. Maybe another time on that dinner. So I was pretty proud of Tally for not totally like breaking down the first time she'd seen Garrett since the wedding. Like, right then and there to the engaged man that she <laughs> up with, like, three weeks ago. <laughs> yep. And then cut to, I'm still going to call him Byron because I don't have any other name for him. I don't know his name. I think Byron is actually one of Abigail's guys. Like, I was going back through and listening to the episode and, like, thinking about because I Google searched. I was like, oh, crap. I think it's actually one of Abigail's guys is Byron. Not the not Hamish, the other one. But she never says his name, so I can't solidify that. Um, I've just been calling him Rails BFF. 
All right, well, Rael's BFF comes up to Rael, who's just sitting there. And I really love this interaction. It says he's been looking for the gruffiest girl in the room. <laughs> just piece of resistance. <laughs> um, Rael, of course, replies, well, I was wondering where that annoying ray of sunshine was. And this is just, I love this sort of friendship. They're so pure. I love them so much. <laughs> so cute. They're just the best. I think this is, I think interactions like this is why I also get excited when the boys return. Is I'm like, oh my god, he's back. Like, we'll have, like, sweet Rael BFF moments, and it's gonna be so great. Like, I don't know. I just, I love it when the boys are around. They have great scenes. They do. I'll admit it. Um... Well, and so, uh, last episode, I'm saying a lot this time. The last episode, there was a little bit of that um, mycelium stuck to Rael's finger, even though she said she didn't touch it. Well, Fyra notices it and is like, um, you should get that checked out. Basically, that looks nasty. She's, oh, no, I just slammed it in a door. And he's like, then you should really get it checked out. It looks necrotic. And he's just trying to, you know, fade out. He's just trying to be thoughtful and a good friend, whatever. He fades out so we can see Abigail walk by them to her guys who stand up and block her path. And Oh, you know, I'm so sorry about Charvel. We heard her. We're here to support you in any way. Come back to us, basically. These boys are like gems, though. Like, they're legitimately just like anything you need, anything you want, we're here. Like, if, if you if you just, like, even don't want to talk to us, just know we're, like, in the wings on call. And I was like, God, what great guys these are that <laughs> are just so happy to be, like, included in her bubble. Like, it was just yes. so sweet. Well, and once and again, honestly, Hamish, not Hamish, is here, and I love him, so... Living on. I was proud of Abigail, though, for how she handled it. Because she's, like, before we've seen her just brush guys away. Like, whatever. She was actually pretty nice about it. You know, like, oh, thank you. Um, I just want to be alone. But, you know, thank you. I'll come to you if I need you, basically, is what. And then she leaves. And, of course, she runs into Adil. Who is carving an ancestral symbol into the ground. Um, he says it's a blessing to the earth for its service. Abigail draws another sacred symbol. It's a smiley face. I thought that was really cute. I didn't think she had this sort of humor in her and she busts it out, no problem. It was so cute. And so, oh, well, she had originally asked him, uh, how'd you get away from your quote-unquote guide he's like well maybe sometime I'll have to tell you sneaky sneaky okay so then we go through the symbols and she and I didn't write down again exactly what they say somehow Colonel Wick I think it was they go through how Colonel Wick is helping Kalita she's the best Abigail says well this one time in Bulgaria, I think, Colonel Wick regrew 37 frostbitten legs. 
And he asks, well, what happened to the 38th? Because, you know, everybody's got pairs. She's so clever. Maybe I'll have to tell you about it sometime. You want to take a walk? He's like, oh, yeah, I could, I could take a walk for that. So, of course, then they go walking and talking. They're so cute. Very smooth. They're so cute. It really is. They end up on, you know, the, I assume, the far side of base because the tornado practice whatever is going on. Abigail says, oh, it's impressive, isn't it? Soon I'll be as good as them. Goes on to basically brings everything right back to the military, of which, you know, Adele is a war survivor. Obviously very traumatized, easily could be. By just everything, so he's well. He's also, um, as we've kind of hypothesized slash solidified, he's of that culture of witches that are like being hunted, at the very least by what we suspect the Chinese, but also the Russians. Yes, thank you. Mildly forgotten about that. I I, I never <laughs> forgot that international meeting. I'm like I am tuned into the international politics of this world. So anywho, yeah, uh, I'll be as good as them, goes into the, like, the military brief, crushing our enemies, and he just walks away. Doesn't say anything, just walks away. Way to defuse it. Good on him, but, you know, she needs to answer, so. Um, when she asked why he walked away, well, because magic has costs, especially in war. You know, you create all these crazy weather things to crush your enemies, but then there's excess flooding. There's famine, all sorts of things to these poor innocent people just because you came through to kill a few. You know, to which Abigail's like essentially says it's all for the greater good. Um he says she's ignorant, she says he's arrogant and patronizing, and they're both very heated, and then she comes back with, she's a sixth generation bellwether. She's smarter than the average cadet. And he smiles and, oh, who's arrogant now? And of course the tension breaks. And I just thought that was actually really cute. Glad on both of you for just taking a very tense moment and de-escalating. <laughs> Up until, of course, the helicopter comes over and he, poof, he's gone. Even though it's just delivering supplies, but. I thought that was, yeah. Um, this is actually, I, I was kind of glad like Adil brought this up because this was something we kind of touched on in uh, our Practical Magic episode as well, which is now up, um, been up for ages for people who are now listening to this. If you like the movie Practical Magic, go watch it. It's very, very long. We apologize. Um, but we were talking about in the episode how, like, magic doesn't come from nothing. You can't just, like, create anything out of thin air. Everything is, like, energy and transferable, and there is only so much of it in the world. So I was kind of glad we actually brought this up because this is very true to fact and true to life. Like, them altering weather patterns or using, like, their wind strikes and their wind storms and their, like, ice magics and everything, like, that all comes from somewhere. And the more powerful they are, the more forceful the attacks, the more they disrupt, like, weather patterns of the natural order. 
And because this is like war times, they're not even doing it in like a subtle way. It's not even like just a calling rain spell. This is significant disruption to the point where they can't just subtly return the energy and have things fix themselves. It's just completely screwing up entire regions that they then are like, good job us, and just ditch. And it's like a decimated war zone plane at that point that will probably take years to get back to normal. So I was really glad they brought it up because that's very real to life. And I was like, oh, look who did their research. Good job. Right? Yes. Good points. Yeah. Like, I, I know we talked about that, like, a, a few times with, like, love spells and stuff where it's like, love doesn't come from anywhere. You can't just create it and stuff like that. I'm uh, trying to figure out where we are in our notes. Sorry. So after the walk and Adilhan disappears, we cut to the healers now trying to fix Adil's sister. And there's like four or five of them at this point, still all led by uh, Wix, who are going to try something different to try to stop the Black Tendrils in his little sister. And so they start a new spell and afterwards, almost immediately, the whole sound eruption happens again. This time, unfortunately, one of the healers wears glasses. So her glasses shatter in her eyes, and she's on the floor screaming, and everyone's trying to figure out what the hell to do. And there's the... uh, I just blanked on the word. There's the reasoning that's like, they basically tell Adil that there's nothing they can do because they don't know how to fix it. They're they're running out of ideals is kind of what's going on. So Adil finds Abigail again, tells her that, you know, he's here with his little sister. She's really sick and she's going to die here because the fixers don't know what to do about it. Abigail never accepts those kind of answers. Abigail is amazing. So being the quick thinker and awesome leader she is, Hunts down Rael because she knows Rael can fix almost anything. And uh, finds Rael in the barracks and basically just pleads with her to come out with her and try to heal Adil's little sister because the fixers can't do it. But Rael has a different kind of magic, which now, uh, thanks to that really bitchy character, we've identified as like a Christian pagan hybrid, which is kind of like interesting, but we'll get back to that. And so Abigail leads Tally and Rael out into like the middle of the woods, kind of on the grounds off of the fort, I think. Like it still looks like Fort Salem. It's just not built up. Um, I assumed it was because like the Necros tend to have their buildings and practice in the forest. So I kind of assumed it was maybe just there, but they have like extensive ground. So there's no way they're actually leaving the fort. Yeah, totally. Um, so they get let out there, and Rail is still kind of trying to figure out what the hell Abigail wants. And Tally at this point stops everyone and says, we're not alone. I sense something. Which is just further proof that Tally is actually just an ama- amazing Caesar. Seer. God, I swear I'm not drunk. Um, 
Tally's just like really good at sensing and seeing things that others can't. And I really wish that we'd give her more credit for this. Cause then like out of the side walks uh Dill and his carrying his little sister who are doing their little invisibility shield thing. Which apparently Tally can see through to some extent. So Well, that makes sense because um and I totally forget the term for this type of magic, but she's like the looker or whatever. So she could see through the objects when they to find the flags when they were practicing that. She was really good at it. Despite yeah, the we, fact that it was Beltane, she was supercharged. But uh, like I said, we, ta- we talked about it a little bit in that episode that we all hated. And we all said we really liked that Talia has this power. But then they seem to be very dismissive of the fact that's like, oh, it's just because like she's sexually charged. But that doesn't really make sense in this episode because she's not so much right now. She's actually kind of heartbroken. No, I think so she has the natural talent. They were just thinking it was because she was sexually charged, but lo and behold, it wasn't. It's just her. She's yeah. just a badass. Yeah, so Tally's actually secretly super powerful, so go Tally. And she can see slightly through Adil's shielding invisibility craft. And so he's kidnapped his sister from the medical ward and puts her down. And Rael starts doing her normal healing chant over it. And this was kind of where I wanted to come back to it. Maybe I've just never really heard what Rael is saying on these. But it does, now that we've like identified it as Christian pagan, it makes so much sense. Because the words that she says sound slightly like passages of the Bible that have just been lightly reworded so I kind of get it now yeah I guess I mean I I've heard the words before and I felt like they were bible related but never felt enough to actually look it up but makes sense well I know because like some of the words she says um are similar to it's like though I walk through the flames like I'll feel no fire and though I walk through the shadows, like, I fear no darkness. And those are all very biblical passages. Um, one of them I know purely because of Dollhouse. The other one, I assume, is just a bent on the very popular phrase, like, though I walk through the valley of, like, shadow and death, I feel, or whatever it's called. I'm Jewish. I barely read the Bible as it is. Um, Pretty sure that part, that is actually straight out of the Bible. Yeah. But she doesn't um, actually say that. Like, she just says, like, the Valley of Shadows. She doesn't say, like, the Valley of Death, which is why I say I think it's bent on Christianity, which makes a lot more sense. And which is why it's kind of, like, low-key surprised you weren't more, like, jumping on it because we've established how much you love, like, Catholicism, um, lore, and bringing that into your Wiccan practices. So this this seemed really up your alley. Um, I was intrigued, but, well, actually, so when she's doing this healing for Kalita, she's using phrases that I don't personally recognize her saying before in the episodes. Like, usually she just goes on, like, um, like, asking, you shall receive, seeking, you shall find. That's the usual chant she does, as far as I can remember. So this was, like, all new, and I noted that, but at the same time... I don't think it has any real use or application for my magic, so that's why I didn't necessarily care. 
That's that's fair. I just I thought it was interesting because I think with also the information that this is like Christian paganism, um, I think I like zoned in on it a bit more. Like I was like, okay, I know what's going on here. I I'm starting to recognize some of these phrases, and most of them did seem like bents on some of the more popular phrases that I know mostly, well, slightly through prayer, because um, you know sometimes Christianity and Judaism match up until like Jesus shows up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then we really diverge. <laughs> but a lot of these phrases were relatively popular, and those that I didn't recognize through my own studies, I recognized through just like pop culture, who used them as well for other Christian justifications and shit. But I thought that was interesting. So we get a bit more of insight into Rael's power, and she does her whole chant over the little sister, and then it doesn't look good because we there's like a bounce we bounce back and the black tentacles are just like completely consumed her and Im- immediately everyone starts freaking out and it's like it's not working what's going on she's dead and then all like the black tendrils and tentacles start just fading away from her body and she wakes up and says, um, like, thank you, Raelle, or something like that. She says Raelle by name. And then Raelle's having her own moment, which I was in that moment with her, where she looks down at her hands. She's kind of like feeling her shoulders, feeling her arms. And she's like, but where did it go? And then when the little girl wakes up and calls her by name, she says, but how does she know my name? And then the little girl's just like, oh. I we should get back soon and obviously uh Adil's really happy to have a sister back so it's completely ignoring these questions but these are very valid questions that we are not answering because <laughs> they're very scary questions and basically now Adil's little sister is fine and they take her back to base and Rael is still hanging out in the forest with Tally and Abigail and is like, but the infection should have gone somewhere. Every time I heal someone, even if to a slight amount, the infection comes to me. If it's not here, where is it? How did she know who I was? None of this makes sense. And Abigail's the moment where I was like, damn it, Abigail, you were just like batting a hundred and now, now you took it down. It's just like, well, you're getting really powerful now. So all those probably side effects have gone away. So you're good. Like, you're just amazing. It's very sweet, Abigail, but that is not the answers to these very difficult questions that you should ask if your magic is not working the way you expect it to. Because that's when problems occur. Yes, but also it's very logical for Abigail to say something like that because she grew up with and only uses strictly canon. She has no idea what goes on with Abigail's and Christopagan magic. So for her, it does just look like you're getting stronger. Maybe you're you're smoothing out the wrinkles that happen when you're just because honestly, even without that type of magic that Abigail is doing, when you're starting out with a lot of witchcraft. And spells and all sorts of things just because you don't necessarily have not always the confidence but just the the technique down the emotions the intent all pinned down 
you do run into a few more speed bumps and a few little ripples and things like that. Most of the time, depending on the spells you're doing, it's fine. Your spell's still gonna work. You might just have a tiny loose thread that can be exploited later, especially if you're doing like some protection stuff. But, um, and then once you start practicing and you really get your style of magic down, it does go a lot smoother. So, I'm kind of still going all around, I'm making your point, and I feel like I'm making my point. <laughs> but because Abigail doesn't necessarily know the differences in her power levels and her practicing things versus what should be happening at that same level with the same magic she's using, like for all we know, technically, Abigail's right. Everything's smoothing itself out like it's what's supposed to be. But very obviously, since it's mycelium and we just see it kind of go to the ground, it looks like, is it dead or is it not? Probably not. Yeah, so we do like, I, I have a couple things to say about this. So we do then cut to the mycelium wall that, Ab not Abigail, Rail had been touching the time before. And then we cut to um, our necro teacher who's like cutting into a mushroom and out plops like one of these black tendrils that looks kind of dead and she runs to the mycelium wall and like the black tendrils are infecting the whole wall which means that rail obviously has some form of a connection to it because it didn't get transferred to her it got to the mycelium which we don't know its purpose of so we don't know how bad that is but to get back to your contention I think the reason why I was most like, why is no one listening to Rael here is because I remember when we were in high school and we would try spells, I didn't realize at that point that my magic was also slightly transferable. So I do remember we do certain spells where I was like, I feel like it should be manifesting here and it's not. And like the girl who we're not friends with, whose name we never say, um, she would also be very dismissive of it and just be like, well, it obviously, we, it just like manifested differently. Like it's fine. It wasn't fine. Fun fact, uh, long story short, it wasn't fine. And I should have followed that gut instinct because would have saved us a lot of problems down the line. But I feel like that's why I had a weird connection with Rael here. It was just like, no, someone listened to her. Like, this is not Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's my contention back to you on that, though. It's, it's, it's not fine. I have no rebuttal. Yeah, right? You were there for this. Like, you know, yeah. like, the problems yeah. that would manifest for, like, the rest of our lives. <laughs> like, um, uh, yeah. It wasn't okay. I wasn't okay. Um, it's the fun and All I can think of just, like, all the times that I got, like, spirit sucking my energy in. Yeah, we weren't okay. I don't know if there was anything else besides that, but... Alright, cut to uh, Scylla being tortured. Basically, like, <laughs> screaming in a box. Quarterman closes it. They start playing stare off chicken about trying to get into Scylla's memories and Scylla not letting her. And then, bye. That was great. <laughs> of course, we cut to from quote-unquote torture to Garrett showing up at Tally's dorm, offering dinner. You know, hey, you said another time. It's another time. Let's do dinner. Such a fuck boy. <laughs> right. Um, 
So like, no, no, I can't. Also, I don't think we can be friends because like friends can share their burdens and tell secrets too. And I just don't feel like I can do that with you. He's like, no, but you can. But also if you can't, that's fine. We can still be friends. I am here for you. Which just cracked me up because he's like, he's doing anything to, <laughs> he's simping hard to do anything to stay in her life. I have dated this guy. <laughs> Don't date this guy. Well, except that she goes to make him leave and then closes the door, starts kissing him, and then they imply heavily because they start getting naked. They do it. Yep. <laughs> tally, so, tally, right, tally. It's all there, Tally. We, I, I will give like Tally the benefit of the doubt. She's been very, very stressed out these past few days. Like, she, I, I get that she. It's hard to stay strong on absolutely everything in your life. Um, but Tally, you're better than this. You deserve better than this. And then we cut to Abigail and Adil uh, walking the base chit-chatting that you know that all that his sister's better they're probably gonna leave soon Abigail's like no she's gotta rest probably and heal a lot more most likely so you'll you'll be here probably it was very cute how she uh she makes these very definitive statements and then comes up right after questioning her own self <laughs> very hopefully though um but this is where Adil shows her the invisibility magic that Tally could kind of sense. This is how he's gotten away from his quote-unquote guide every time he wants to. This is very special to their peoples and very closely monitored. Like he shows her. Super cool. And I really like that like he creates this bubble around them and she just has the cutest look of awe on her face um she says it feels like i'm everything and nothing all at once and of course it's just it's movie magic it's way too perfectly written it's so cute um he says you are everything and they kiss oh how magical but i was just all over the scene <laughs> it was so cute um so proud of abigail for not being like controlling and using it just enjoying the time it's super sweet they're they're like i said they're so goddamn cute together uh this kind of leads into like a hypothetical thought process i had on it where this scene in particular made me think that his magic isn't actually invisibility it's like planar shifting or at least like somewhat universal shifting because she says she feels like she's everywhere but nowhere at once and we can still see people like walk by through them which makes me think there's like slightly out of like sync with everything else which is why it doesn't look like they're there maybe because i felt like they were just walking through like the bubble but because like he's holding her hand that's how she's staying the bubble and because he's the one who's producing them thing so because they're connected they're both protected but i don't know how about 
much on the plainer side just because like at the very beginning when we first met him and his sister like he was leaving footprints in the sand so obviously he's still there I don't I don't know this is like I said a hypothesis um especially because yeah he does like footprints in the sand but then when we cut to like the shots of them like in their like bubble it's like everything looks slightly different you know everything's slightly like blurry or slightly off it's not just like it doesn't look like it's just a personal spell it looks like they are slightly out of sync with what is occurring around them I mean I didn't quite I mean I know they had to show they make it like golden and shimmering moving to show that they're encapsulated but I don't necessarily feel like I noticed any any um delays or anything like that but maybe I'll I don't watch know. it again maybe they'll explain thought. it maybe they'll explain it later they will um because something oh sorry no, go ahead with your analysis. I'm moving on with the show. Oh, I was just say say something I really like about um, Adil is we've kind of established he's a bit more of a pacifist, which I think is good for Abigail because she is quite aggressive from time Next to time. Generation Bellwether. Yes. So I like seeing them together. I think I think they're good for each other. <laughs> That was it. That was my analysis ending. Is it's cute, cute while it lasts, because once the people walk by and she's like, "Oh, this is so cool," she opens her big fat mouth. Can you imagine what we could do with this power? And you know, goes on in like a military fashion, and he's just like, "Nope, you don't use this for fighting. You can't take this. This is how dare you." So. uh well, yeah. He says, actually, can, can you imagine what we could do with this power? And he's like, yeah, I can. And then let's go of her hand and walks away. She's <laughs> stuck outside the bubble. So. That's all we get of that. No more explanation as to the bubble, so good luck with that. I don't think it comes up in, well, I don't know. Maybe in another episode. We'll see. I mean, we should be getting season two in the next year or so, so we will probably come back with some answers. Probably not to the degree we're looking for, but I don't know. I just, I feel like this isn't straightforward visibility. It just looks too different. Yeah, well, there's no technically true invisibility in real life, so there's a lot of different ways that they can play that. And actually, we're going to get into that a little bit in the deep dive. Yes. But I don't know that they'll get to it in season two because they're really good in the show of introducing some really interesting details and never speaking of them again. It's very true. So we'll see. And then your really precious scene shatters. Cut to sleeping Rael. Quartermain comes in with a couple of people, does a sigil on rails like she's sleeping, does it on her forehead while she's still sleeping. So she stays sleeping while her Quartermain's friends grab her, take her away. And lo and behold, we're back to Scylla interrogation. So Ray L wakes up on the floor of Scylla's interrogation dungeon thing. 
still some change. She can't believe this is real. Silla warns her, they're going to tell you a lot of horrible things about me, just like everybody's going to say it. Don't believe everything. Just no matter what, please don't believe everything. I love you. I would never hurt you. And Rael's like, I believe you. I love you too. It's so sweet. And then, so they kiss because, you know, it's touching and they're having this moment because Rael's just so excited that she's alive and here. And then they drag Rael away and do another sleep sigil on her. And because now Scylla's all hyped up emotionally and unstable, Quartermain links with her and is finally able to see the spree details she needs to see. And so basically, it's actually a really cool scene. Um, we see Scylla joining the spree. She's going to this place, the sixth floor. She enchants one of the workers who gets in the elevator with her. There's no sixth floor. What are you talking about? Yeah, I really like that. She gets in the elevator and she's like, clicks the sixth floor button and there's another guy in there with her. And he's like, oh, I've never been to the sixth floor. I'd love to see it someday. And she's just like, yeah, there's no sixth floor in this building. And they like, the camera zooms back to the buttons and it's like the sixth floor button's gone. I was like, oh, that was actually really good. <laughs> like, so says the code. She gets cleared. They've been looking forward to her coming up. She has the spree lady that's running this at the moment. Um, do I get my own vessel? Not yet, but everybody gets a balloon first. And I just, I wonder what they mean by vessel. I'm so confused. I'm so intrigued. I assume it's um like what they use to have the sounds occur. Because later they, like earlier in the show, we talked about how they started using like bottles and stuff. And we saw the lifeguard use like a floaty. So I have a feeling the more advanced you are in the spree society, the more like alternative you can go in the vessels you use for your sound explosions. Uh, but everyone should start with a balloon. And then if you show that you can handle a balloon and keep like using the general everyday vessels, then you can start choosing what you want to use. That makes sense, I guess, because then we do end up hearing like a door opens and closes after a few seconds, but that screaming that they use to trigger the spree attacks is totally going off. And she says, uh, the spree lady's like, oh, that's the sound of suffering. Gotta break a few eggs, right? So I assume they're like, they're harvesting energy somehow, vocalizing certain ones to the, uh, the trap in the containers. So that does make sense, though, that the vessel just refers to more advanced things they can use for attacks. <sighs> but yeah, gotta break a few eggs right. Now is the moment you stop being complicit in their evil. Go. Until it goes. But I just like, what a, what a way to end that. So ominous. And when Scylla gets in her car, she uses the cigarette lighter to, you know, light her illusion, whatever. And lo and behold, she turns into the girl that sets off the spree attack at the mall that we, the very first episode for Motherland, that's the attack that Spree, uh, Scylla is doing for the spree. So now we've come full circle, which I really liked. And then of course, 
flashback to quarter made like surfaces from the link. She's got the information she needs. Quartermain shocked, still is sobbing. Quartermain apologizes and then just follows up with, hey, you gotta break a few eggs, right? Just knife to my own viewing heart. Damn. As if she wasn't already hard enough with let me dangle your love in front of you just so I can get this information. Like Quartermain torture, is like still. ice cold and I love her for it. Like I again this was one of those episodes where I was like, God damn it, Quartermain, how did you go up in my respects? But she did. Right. Well and then, you know, because now that Quartermain has the information, she reports it to General Alder. You know, there's an armory in a domestic factory building, names it Middleburg, Vermont. There's a considerable civilian presence which Alder's not surprised, there always is. Um, they like to hide among their prey, Alder says very ominously. And this is where Quartermain kind of redeems herself again in my eyes. Like she's, she has an internal debate, I feel, because she tells Alder when she was linked with Scylla that there was a, a bit of regret. regret. Just a, a little trace. It seems enough to her. So she's obviously, I mean, I thought, obviously, trying to get Alder to be a little bit more compassionate because she's been coerced. She went down the wrong path, show her the right way, and she'll be good. And Alder's just like, you always had a soft spot for orphans. Bye-bye. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. Quartermain went back up a little bit. Alder, of course, is still sliding. I think the reason I liked Quartermain was a similar reason of why I was like talking at the Witch Father so much is because she's just she's always so sharp and seems to always know what's happening and just being able to handle it and deal with it. But when we get these like one-liners or these extended scenes or like you know when we see her be very protective of Rael and her feelings, it just makes us like want to root for Quartermain overall because we're like but she really cares about what's occurring here. She's just smart enough to know that right now she can't act on it. I think also uh, during when Rael was in the room with Scylla and Scylla's like, just so you know, like I never did anything to hurt you. I was like, Porter, Porter. I was literally like just yelling at the screen. I was like, that, you think that didn't hurt her? So afterwards, um, Rails returned to her bed, and she wakes up, says, Scylla's alive. I know she's alive. I saw her. I was there. And this is, again, Abigail came to play. I fucking love her. She's, like, calming her down. Immediately is like, I remember after the wedding, I had dreams, too, that I swear were completely real. We just, like, you have to breathe. You have to, like, take it in. We will probably just have to accept the fact Scylla is dead. And this was just like such a good Abigail moment because not only did we get some vulnerability where Abigail fully admits that she was suffering from night terrors and PTS after the wedding, but also that she's now emotionally intelligent enough to know that what she has to do right now is just settle down rail from the panic. And from there, they'll like take it as a critical thinking perspective. And again, I was like, Abigail, God. When did you come to play? And when did I miss it? Like, so that was really cool. 
And so now Rail is completely convinced Zill is alive, which is also very sad for Tally and Abigail, who just had to deal with her uh, drug problem. But as they're trying to deal with this, I think it is, is it Quartermain who comes in? I didn't mark it. Yes. Okay, it is Quartermain. Quartermain comes back into the room and says, it's time for City Drop right now. Get ready. Let's go. Uh Everyone in the room seems to know what City Drop is. Us as the viewer do not. But we will get to that as they are like getting ready to move because it seems like they have no control over this. And before we get to that, we cut to... Oh, yeah, you want to say something? Yeah, so I just... Because in the scene, Rail had thrown up. So it's a very obvious sign that, oh... Quartermain did the sleep induction that had very conveniently been mentioned earlier in the episode. So I just, again, I liked how they keep coming full circle with everything, finally, for once. Yeah, we're, we're making a lot of connections in this episode. Like, this is the episode where a lot of light bulbs go off, I think. So, yes, I forgot to mention that, but she just, like, throws up in their, like, wardrobe chest, which is... Because, obviously, she came up from the sleep induction way too quick. Yeah. And boom. Yes, cut to. So we cut to, um, they're getting ready for City Drop, and then Adil's little sister is in, like, a greenhouse. There's a bunch of little plants around her, and she's just kind of hanging. And that's when General Alder comes in. Again. And, you know, she, like, kneels in front of her and is like, I'm so glad you're okay. We were so worried about you. We thought you might die on us, but thank goodness you were here. And you know what would really help us, because we worked so hard to help you and your brother, is if you taught me all your songs. Because that's what I need in payment right now. So uh, Adil's sister starts singing. And I I don't think this is the actress who was singing, because this was some opera-level singing. Like, my God, maybe she sold her soul to the devil, and this little kid can sing like this, in which case, holy crap, Carol. But, you know, there, there's those kids out there that have, like, opera voices. And I'm just like, okay, when you see the devil and have tea, <laughs> tell him I say, hey. Like, that's, this is freaking crazy. But she starts singing a very, like, operatic note. And General Alder starts to try to match it. She's failing. And as this starts to occur, the plants around them start to wilt and die. And General Alder starts to look noticeably in pain. And all the crones are there, obviously, because the crones are always fucking there. And they start to get in pain as well and fall to the ground. And General Alder falls to her knees. And then in uh, the dialect that we don't recognize, so we have subtitles, the little girl says, our songs are not safe with you, and walks out of the room. And the crones of General Alder are left on the floor, failing once more, which, thank goodness, I would have been so pissed if we'd gone through all this and then, like, this kid just gives away the songs. I would have been like, are you fucking kidding me? This was, like, all season. So, yeah, that was cool. That was. Kid knows what's up. This this kid was on to Alder from the beginning. In my notes specifically, I write General Alder makes yet another capitalized underline play for these songs. And I was just like, 
God, know when you've lost. Like, she's made a play. Like, this is, I think, her third time making a play for these notes. And I'm just like, know when you've lost. Like, know your boundaries, because this is not working out for you. And it continues not to work out for you. Try, try, try again. I guess if you're immortal, you know, you got nothing but time to try and fail at manipulating people. But yes, I'm, and this kind of also leads to my theory that I think um, Adil and his like culture are probably pacifists because they've brought up multiple times how Alder has militarized and made aggressive the songs of her culture and done nothing but bring like destruction and war to her magic, which makes me feel like that's what they hone into as like the main negative to her and don't get me wrong it's a huge negative but she has 10,000 other negatives so it just kind of leads me to think that they might be like pacifists of some form they kind of remind me of the airbenders from avatar last airbender i can see um, that yes right yeah i i got strong um ang vibes from these kids so i loved it I also love Avatar Last Airbender, but that's just, we're just like, throughout this podcast, we're just finding out what dork I am. It's like every episode, I'm like, Star Wars, X-Men, Avatar Last Airbender. But after this, we cut to uh, Abigail and the Bellwether unit, which are in a helicopter with, uh, God, what's her name? The girl that we don't like. Libba Smythe. Libba, thank you. Libba's unit. Her unit. Libba's giving a very aggressive speech about how great they are and how they're going to kill this. And then it's kind of awkward because she gives it to her unit, but they are like knee length away from Abigail's unit. (laughs) So it's like giving a speech to only 50% of a very, very tiny room, but she does it nonetheless. And what she's done, um, Abigail in particular is just like, okay, nice speech. And tries to, again, comfort Rael, because Rael's obviously just threw up, is going through something, and now has to do a city drop. And they're in a helicopter, so we can only assume what the drop part of this means. And, which again, this was a good Abigail moment. I feel like first few episode Abigail, we never would have seen this from her. She would have been like, hey, suck it up, because I'm not going to fail, because you're, like, the worst. But now we see that she's very much more emotionally mature and I really love that about her and then the red light goes off in the helicopter they all put on their salva stars and jump out of the helicopter which brings us to city drop which uh Corey made a little bit of narrative about it's apparently their crucible and it seems like a practice war um, where they'll be, like, dropped in a location that's been staged for them to act like an invasion or a defending force. That's that's about all we know about it. And that's where we cut to black and end the episode. Woohoo! Yeah. Yeah. Final thoughts? They're always great at just... That was cliffhangers, man. It was still a starting to be interrogated by General Alder in the last episode. We got City Drop on this episode. It's always such a roller coaster. (laughs) 
final thoughts. Way better episode. I like the magics used. Um, besides that, nothing. I think, okay, so I don't think this is my favorite episode, as I have called my favorite episode before, was The Wedding. Freaking love that episode. I think this was a good episode. I think, again, they crippled themselves of jumping around just a little too much, but not so much as much as the last episode. This one at least seemed very, there is main plot and there is subplot. And it's like main plot is... Um, what's going on with Adil and his sister? We got to solve that. Subplot is Scylla's interrogation. You can even kind of vice versa that, but you know, there's like two main things happening and I really like that. I think I really liked this episode because like I said, I think we really got some great character growth in everyone or at least some like solidifying of who these people are. Like, Abigail really showed herself as a leader. Tally was very emotionally mature, if not, like, dealing with her own drama. Rael kind of started going through grief to the point where she wasn't, like, angry and self-destructive anymore. She was just kind of sad um, up until, you know, her kidnapping. And as I've stated multiple times, Quartermain and the Witchfather fucking killed it. Uh, came to play, and I love them. So I think I liked the episode from a character perspective. From a plot perspective, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. Yeah. They're just compelling enough. And that's how it felt the first go-round with watching these. It was just compelling enough, especially right at the end of these episodes where I would put on another episode. Because I remember I was originally watching them. Like you said, oh, you got to watch it. Just watch it. I did. <laughs> and I ended up watching them, like, because I was working from home since the pandemic, and I would watch them on my lunch breaks, because they were just short enough that I could squeeze it in. And so I'd watch, like, one a day, and then I remember, oh, dang it, I have to go back to work. I want to watch the next episode just so I know what's going on, but overall. I, I think this is something... I'm going to finally bring it up. I've wanted to bring this up since I recommended the show to you. Like, legitimately months. This episode finally started touching on something which I think is the overall theme of the show slash, like, the message of it. Which I'm hoping season two they'll double down on. Because I think it's relatively subtle now, but I think it's because they're building up to it. Which is... (laughs) Which... um, (laughs) I've made that joke like five times this podcast. I don't care. But the theme I'm seeing in the show, which I really like, is that the minority and the different are only accepted as long as they're useful. And I think that's finally starting to be touched on because that's kind of like how General Alder's main perspective of the world has been drawn is she's only accepted and powerful and worth anything to society as long as there's a war for her to fight and she can be of use to the average non-witch. And we're starting to see that's what the spree are fighting against, is they have a superiority complex, but it's because they refuse to accept the fact that they won't just be useful and accepted. They want to be superior, which again, very X-Men. 
And we're starting to just like kind of see that reflected in some of the characters and the hints of what's going on in the world where the witch father is like, yeah, there's, you know, police brutality against us because we're witches and we're failing and we have to start succeeding. Otherwise, we're going to start being persecuted again. And I think that's a really interesting message to try to bring into a show. And I'm really hoping they follow through on it because I really like it. You were just killing it with the analyses tonight. I just gotta say. Thank you. <laughs> so what happens when your brother um, is in a PhD program for media studies? You've learned that you can't just watch a show. You must dissect the show. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, we've seen that streak. Honestly, I've seen that streak because I know him. <laughs> um, throughout all of our recordings yes but for the most part like it's been like it's been some good stuff but it hasn't been too crazy and then this episode you're getting those really crazy ones but like it's really good so proud of you thank you you should hear about my feelings on the walking dead they have been in his essays (laughs) i've never seen it really oh it's good for like three seasons then you could quit um chris watched them all i've heard all the gossip i chris watched them all no, I mean, I think up to season four, and then he stopped. Okay, that makes sense. That's about right. Uh, anywho, not watching because I despise zombie stuff. Oh, I never knew recall. that. Yes, you did. Never knew that. No, yes, I don't. you did. We did. We talk about this. Was... Yeah, I'm not gonna say it while it's recording. Was I high? No, it was in high school. Um, <laughs> On the off chance that, like, somehow it doesn't get edited out. If you make a note of it, we will talk after this recording. I'm not okay, I'll, I'll, I'll note it. I'll, we'll put a pin in that. Um, also, once again, living California. I'm legal. As I said, I get high. But, yes, that was, uh, that's, that's the thing I've always thought about this show. That's why I always liked that show. This is literally why I recommended the show to you, was because I like this theme that I feel like they slowly built into it. And this was the major episode where I started, like, really seeing it being less subtext and a bit more of, like, character text. So, I like the episode for a lot of reasons. Um, still not my favorite. It's fine. <laughs> it's not my favorite episode either, actually. That's probably reserved for the last episode, I think. But we're going to get to that. Episode. Maybe episode nine. I'm pretty sure it's episode 10. How many? I think we're like, we only have like two episodes left, I think. There's 10 total. So there's three more. So we have three episodes left. Wow, we're almost done. That's crazy. So crazy. All right. Well, episode done, episode aside, let's get into our deep dive, which for once isn't completely obscure because they actually did magic in the show. What a concept. Uh, so our deep dive for this episode is we decided to do a little bit of talk on illusions, glamour, and psychic craft in magic, because they all kind of go hand in hand. Uh, Jade is actually way more proficient in illusionary magic than I will ever be. Uh, that being said, I have a little bit of information on it, but I'll let her start it if she'd like. Sure. Um, I don't know how much I'll be able to get across, because like I feel like I can do quite a few things but again there's I know there's quite a few ways like to tweak it 
across other witches. So we'll see. But um, the way that I use it and the way that I mostly generally see it being used, like there is no such thing as true glamour and illusion, et cetera, like they use in the show. Um, like I, nobody's going to be able to do that invisibility bubble sort of thing, even if we don't consider that type of planar shifting. Um, no one's going to be able to do the the lighter that's Rita for their costumes. Um, however, there are certain things like you can sort of make yourself invisible. It's not that your people aren't going to see you. People are going to see you. They're just going to see you and move on. You're not going to stay in their brain. So you're invisible in that type of way, you know, socially invisible. There's a couple different ways to do that. Um, the sort of glamours that I do typically are sort of in that same vein of that invisibility. It's more of sleight of hand of magic. You know, you might look at me, but when you recall, you're not going to recall exactly like I, I have dark brown hair. Maybe you're going to recall that it was lighter than it is or my skin was a little bit darker than it actually is because I am pretty damn white. I'll own it. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of freckles, though. You're very I do, freckled. but fun fact. Um, random. <laughs> Several years ago, I was um, getting my makeup done for a friend's wedding, and the lady was having a little bit of trouble matching what the foundation because I didn't have my own. And so I was like, legitimately, pick the very lightest color you have in a warm tone and use that one. She's like, no, you are not that white. And lo and behold, I was correct. I was that white. Blew her mind. Cracked me up. Was this, uh, was this our friend's wedding that we wanted to get on the podcast? No, this was actually when I was still in college. Oh my god, I didn't know you were in... Nope, I did know you were in a wedding then. I'm sorry. I'm acting like I don't even know you on this podcast. Yeah, seriously. I'm, like, I'm so offended. I know you're super popular, but she's Louise. <laughs> Some podcast, I'm like, who are you? Dagger to my heart. <laughs> no, I do remember when you were in that wedding. You posted about it on Facebook. Yes. That makes I sense. I still have though. that dress. I wear it for Christmas, actually, because it's a perfect, like, red shimmery strapless dress so um we're on podcast now and we're being recorded so i'll say this here and now uh i got rid of the bridesmaid's dress from your wedding finally when i moved i've been oh. carrying it around for years and it finally i didn't want to move it anymore that's fine honestly i was hoping y'all would get some use out of them but whatever. It, i think i kept the uh, bandeau top that went with it but the dress itself, it's just, well, I don't wear a lot of dresses, you know? Like, I'm more of a skirt mm -hmm. girl. Anywho, I am totally, I don't even remember what exactly I was saying, what I was going to say for next parts on the deep dive of Glamour and Illusions, unfortunately. So maybe you have anything to add? Maybe I'll remember, I'll stop being an old lady and remember all my shit. Yeah, um, so I have a little bit I can just add about the history of Glamour and Illusion magic. So... Illusion magic obviously came to prevalence uh, during the time of like stage magicians. So we have actual illusionists out there who practice stage magic. Um, that was very different from what we were talking about today, which is why we also kind of categorized it as glamorous slash psychic magic. 
Uh, the words of glamour magic, actually, of what I've read, have originated in the Romney Gypsy Society. So I don't know a lot about that society. I am not Romney. And, but it seems really cool, and that's really sweet. And then other than that, glamour magic throughout history was seen as something relatively ambiguous as exploration and colonialization occurred. So it was one of those terms that was used during witch trials or just in suspicion of witchcraft as a very ambiguous term, meant to mean just um, like exterior magic of the illusionary or deceptive times. And that kind of leads to exactly what you were saying, where it's like, glamours aren't meant to alter reality, they're deceptive. They're meant to kind of like trick the mind. And so the fact that it's like throughout history, we've seen that also kind of pointed to that, even when they didn't really know what they were talking about, makes sense. And there's obviously, obviously a difference between doing a glamour and doing actual psychic magic. Psychic magic is very dangerous, and I really don't think many people should do it, because you shouldn't mess with other people's brains, because that's just a jerk move. It's uh, dangerous enough when you mess with your own brain for a lot of things. So, yeah, agree, preferably. Just don't touch it. Yes, but uh, from what I know of glamours and what I've read of glamours, glamours are supposed to um, kind of connect into the side of your brain that will alter things after you see them. So it's this, it is slightly based on science. So there is that whole aspect where it's like, after you see someone, if you describe them, your brain makes up some of the details or fills in some of the blanks or alters them in some way. It's just supposed to be that glamours and illusionary magic just tap into that and amplify it to the point where it's like, you couldn't fully identify or describe someone the way you should. Obviously, illusions and glamour is done very differently in the show because media always does it like that. It's like, oh my god, it's world changing. But in real life, that's basically what's been based on. Everything I've seen about illusions and glamours in magic are based kind of only back to the 19th century. It seems like that's when that started getting popularity in both the occult and stage magic. So unlike some of the other magics we've talked about that go as far back as like Egypt, um, by Egypt I mean ancient Egypt. Sorry about that, Egypt. I know you're still a country. But this was something that I think came to light and came into practice more of a time where that need or that want was a little more prevalent, which was a bit more modern. That's yeah, all I had. actually, I was thinking, because in mythology and stories, a lot you get of, like, the fae and their type of glamours which are very powerful and honestly in the same vein as Motherland shows it. It's a full thing when it collapses, like it's a completely different thing is in its place. But again, those were, and those are very ancient stories, but in actual practice, we don't really see anything like that. I assume, honestly, that witches still had like, and that's another thing, too, for the illusions and the glamours and stuff, because there's there's actually a lot of little ways to do it, I feel, because it has to do more with your intentions. So, like, why are you doing it? So it can kind of turn into, like, some protection spells are a form of glamours. 
it depends on how you're how you're phrasing it, um, how your intentions are, how you're setting up the spell, because not all glamours are protection spells, not all protection spells are glamours, but there is a bit of an overlap. And so I feel like we probably had that in ancient times, but again, it's just not, not the purpose of the glamour, so it wasn't necessarily recorded, it's not something that people would want known, so I assume it goes way back further, but Nobody really cared until, or nobody wrote it down per se, until we get, like you said, magicians and that sort of style. That's so interesting too that you bring up the Fae, because I didn't even think about like Fae for something like this. Because I, I think that it does kind of bring up an interesting point that I think uh, glamour and illusionist practitioners have always kind of been grouped in with like the tricksters of mythology. So like the Fae, um, like Pan of Greek pantheon like the not to be trusted because you didn't know what they were actually up to which is something um weirdly be respected i love tricksters in mythology like i i love a good coyote story but i think it's really funny this is something kind of seasonal for us as i've said we're in your guys's past but what have you it's december we're really close to the holidays i always see stuff online that's like oh, is the elf on your shelf yet? And there was like a witch post I saw on Instagram that was like, my kids will one day ask me why we don't do elf on the shelf. I will reply, you think we invite the fae into our dwellings? <laughs> and I was like, this is the best answer to this question. I love that. That's great. Elf on the shelf is really creepy. Elf on the shelf is so creepy. It's the weirdest thing. Um, I feel like it was something that came to popularity around the time we were, like, slightly too old. Yes, because I remember, um, I think it was, we were in high school. High school, at the latest. Because I remember helping my mom try to find one as we were on, like, a road trip to go see, like, an uncle in Nevada. But I very distinctly, she was trying to get it because my brother was still kind of young enough. And then nothing ever came of it, thankfully, because I thought it was weird. And I'm really glad. Super weird. It's very creepy. But, <laughs> but yes, if anyone in your life ever asks you why you don't do Elf on the Shelf, say, like, you invite the Fae willingly into your house and just have them stare at you and be like, ooh, that's a bold choice, and walk away, because that will, they'll never ask you again. <laughs> Probably won't ask you a lot of things. That's for sure, but... <laughs> This is how I get people, so leave me alone. (laughs) But, like you said about the tricksters, historically, yes, I completely agree. Because, like I've actually said sort of before, not necessarily just in this episode, briefly touched on it before, um, I mentioned it's sort of like a sleight of hand for these spells. And it does require, like, all lies have a grain of truth in them. And I feel like it's all just sort of mixed in together yeah and And i feel again your intentions your the way you set up the spell and i feel like uh through mythology through history those uh gods those myth those mythical creatures who have always been identified as the tricksters they're not inherently evil in every story they're not like evil enemies they're just kind of the neutral party of the story that can go either way 
And I'd say it's similar for glamour and illusionary magic. Like you can use it very horribly or it's just something you can kind of use for your necessary needs. And it's just a neutrality gray area of spellcraft, I would assume. But as I said earlier, uh, I didn't realize it apparently has some basis in uh, Roman and Gypsy culture. They might have a completely different interpretation of it than we do. If you're Roman and Gypsy and you know what that's up with that, yo, send us a message. I'm super curious. I don't know. Um, Same. And I feel like that's one of those things that probably won't come up very well on Google because they have been so repressed and annihilated. I knew a little bit about Romani Gypsy uh, mythology only because one of my professors in college, who was my German literature professor, was at Romani. And so she would like sometimes say a little bit where she would like talk about a fable or like a Germanic novel and then just be like, oh, fun fact, and like say something for five minutes about it. And I was like super enthralled. And then we'd have to actually get back to the lesson plan because it was an upper division course. And I had a test to have a good grade on. Uh, actually, one of my favorite courses I took in college was German Lit, and she was an amazing professor. I freaking loved her. Um, yeah, that's all I had for the deep dive, though, was just a little bit of history. As I said, I don't really practice it. I'm not very talented in it. And I think most of the elements that I've seen it identified with are water and fire. I'm relatively talented in fire magic. I am horrible at water magic. Oh, my God. So I think that's one of the reasons why I have also stayed away from it. That makes sense. Yeah, water is typically, like, it's a good, it's a reflector, so honestly, well, of course, I'm fire sign, so I definitely focus on, like, the fire aspect of the spells, so when I use the water, it's more of to get rid of, like, you can actually use, like, a, like a cup of water and make a spell to, when there's light reflecting off it, then if other people have, like, like glamour that are near you, you can use that glass of water to then like it breaks by the time it comes to your eyes. Oh, that's cool. So it's that cleansingness, and it doesn't necessarily work out very well with mirrors. But um, so that's how I use water in relation to glamour. I don't necessarily know how you build upon it, but I can also see because it is like if you're looking at a pond, there's that reflection, and we could go very deep into that. But I don't know how correct I'd be. Oh, good point. Good point. Anyway, Nikki, which is on the couch? What are you drinking tonight? Tonight, uh, first of all, I pulled out the stemware tonight, so I'm very proud of myself. And I made a corpse reviver number two. Uh, okay, because I know exactly what that is. It's one of my favorite drinks. I first had it at. Uh, ramen restaurant nearby that is currently mostly closed due to the pandemic and their bar is completely closed so I haven't had one in like a year it's a very very sad fact but it's gin orange liqueur uh lemon juice although I think I did half lemon half lime in this because my lemon was small and running out so it's a citrus juice and then you also put in some dry vermouth and you're supposed to rinse your glass with absinthe this is not a proper Court Survivor number two, as my Bethmo, I could not find absinthe, fake absinthe or not, if my life depended on it. And every time I was like, 
trying to investigate some of the liquor aisles. And by liquor, I mean like the hard alcohols because BevMo's are always separated into like hard alcohols, beers, and wines. It's exploring the hard alcohol aisles because I feel like that's where absinthe should be. I'd be shocked if it was with the wines the whole time. And there was just like this one dude in BevMo who, let me tell you, was the bane of my existence and spent like 20 minutes per aisle but would just like take up the whole aisle like he'd put his cart on one side and then he'd like walk up and down the entire aisle and he was a bigger dude and it's a pandemic time so I didn't even want to get close to him so uh yeah he just kind of took up a third of Bethmo and there was no help on the floor for me to ask where absinthe was so that's my sad Bethmo story but corpse survivors number twos are excellent Mostly because I like gin and I like absinthe, but that's it. And with that super fun story of me just Ooh, kind of that was a lot vent, of information I did not need to know. I need okay. to vent about Bevmo because, like, this dude, like, if he's out there, you're, you're not my, you're not getting a call out for anything good. You're getting a call out where you like, you decide on your bourbon and you leave. This isn't your time. It's the time of quick decision making. And you get out of the store because we're in a pandemic. So we'll cut to uh, Jade. Jade, how are you doing this week? Migraine's still back? Where are you drinking? No, thankfully, it was just the one for like a couple of days, but we're good. Uh, I am drinking plum wine. There's a Japanese word after it that I was like one of my coworkers who recommended this to me, taught me how to say the word, and now I'm very afraid that I keep effing it up. So, get kicking, something like that. It's very long. Doesn't entirely sound exactly how it looks, but basically it just means it's plum wine. Japanese plum wine. Plum wine's delicious. I respect that choice. You were way more direct than I was. I had to describe a whole cocktail and then yell at a man that will never know that I yelled at him. I thankfully don't have these issues. Yeah. I feel better, though, if that helps. Yes, good, good. It's always good to feel better in this pandemic times. Things aren't so great with you. It's okay, even when we're not in pandemic times, honestly. Um, if you are feeling in a really, really, really dark place and thinking anything about suicide, first of all, please don't. Really, from the very bottom of my heart. I don't even know you. Please don't. But also, please, give it a shot. It's so hard to talk to people. It's so much better once you start talking to people. Uh, suicide hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Okay, I hope that we were a bit of entertainment and light in your day night, evening, morning, whenever you're listening to us in these podcast days. Um, as I've said before, we're on Instagram, Oz Witches on the Couch. Go follow us, send us a message, you know, let us know you're listening. And we are also available now on most podcast streaming apps for free because no one's paying for us these days. But I hope you have a good time in your following week, and we will hopefully see you next week for another episode. Have a good night, y'all. Bye.